I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to On the Continent, your definitive guide to the week in European football. I'm Dotton Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Jonathan Johnson. On this edition, crisis? What crisis? As the pressure drops on PSG from players and fans and from Bayern Munich, what toll is it taking on the glamour team's superstars? Also, the yellow wall is on the pitch. Dortmund shut Chelsea out and continue their winning run. What's possible for them this season? And can Real Madrid ever say goodbye to Benzema without a like for like, then why aren't they extending his contract before it runs out in the summer? Question. Ding! For JJ. This is from Ben on Instagram. JJ, is Jonathan Johnson's nickname Jean Jean? Because it should be and obviously, if David Bowie were to sing, it would be Jean Genie. <laughs> That's a very good question. I do have some friends who wind me up from time to time calling me uh, Jean, uh, as I do hold the title of being the Frenchest man that they know, which <laughs> is quite touching. <laughs> I do know one thing. When you say J in French, you know, it's M-G, isn't it? G, G. Yeah, I mean, you know, if I go from J-J to JJ in French, that is actually Gigi, like as in Gigi Buffon. I saw the Buffon. film, yeah, saw the film. Um, and that's by way of paying tribute to Raquel Well, she wasn't in the film. But let's get on to the football. What's happening at PSG, JJ? Um, well, how do you assess their game against Bayern? It seemed to be like a game of three halves. Yeah, I mean, good question. What's not happening at PSG, especially around this time of year? It's kind of par for the course when you're when you're following PSG as closely as I do. Uh, in terms of the game, uh, you know, I think it was it was a very strange experience. Even before the match, you could tell that the atmosphere was not quite uh, as it would be normally moving into one of these big Champions League games. Uh, you know, we'd heard that the ultras were preparing, uh, you know, some sort of major display before the match, but. In terms of like the atmosphere between the fans, there was a lot of pessimism there, uh, you know, and I just don't think there was really that much belief, uh, you know, from the off that PSG could really get a result, uh, you know, and that, uh, you know, sort of manifested itself in what was a very, uh, you know, defensive performance on the pitch. I mean, I, I think I commented during the game on Twitter 
you know, it was basically like PSG was set up as the away team. Uh, and it all sort of fed into this sort of, uh, you know, larger, um, you know, kind of subplot of the match, which was that basically PSG were just trying to stay in the game up until they could bring Kylian Mbappe on. You know, their all eyes were on Mbappe. You know, was he going to warm up before the game, which he didn't. Uh, and sort of when would he start limbering up, uh, you know, as he get ready to come on? He did so at half time, And that was when, you know, the Parc des Princes really started to to wake up. Uh, and PSG as a team woke up on the pitch, uh, you know, once he was introduced, uh, had a couple of goals disallowed, uh, you know, but it, in terms of the, the quality of player that Christophe Galtier was able to put on the pitch, I thought it was a very underwhelming performance overall to only wake up and to only get your first shot on target sort of in the last 20 minutes and start testing Jan Zoma, who, by the way, was fantastic late on in that match. Uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, leaves PSG with a, with a big mountain to climb in Munich now. That's an excellent breakdown of what we saw the mm. other night, um, Andy. And Mbappe followed the performance by saying, I shouldn't have played. I, I wasn't fit enough. Yeah, and that, that says a lot. I mean, I, I think Mbappe is such an engaging footballer. I know a lot of people have their judgments of him after, as they see it, I guess, leading Real Madrid along and, and, and then signing, re-signing with with PSG. But then they saw him in the World Cup final and it's, for a football fan, that's a different impression. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I think also, the thing is, he's so he's so thoughtful in a, in a way that 99.9% of, of, of footballers aren't. He's uber articulate and he's he's quite honest on the whole as well. And we, we saw that again here. But I think what's so interesting, as JJ was saying, the fact that having spent all this money, it's, it's a little bit like if you go all the way backwards to the beginning of um, Manchester City starting to win trophies, where you, you look at them and for the first... The Mancini era, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to go yeah, back. Yeah, I, th I, th I, think, I think the Mancini era. So when don't they don't start... we have to call it the disputed era now? <laughs> yeah, I think, I, I, think we're, I, th I think we do. <laughs> The, the pending era. Yes. <laughs> but I, I think when, when we when we look at that, for the first like four or five years after they're, they're winning trophies, right up until Guardiola, for all the players they've brought in, for all the quality they've brought in, they're still incredibly reliant on Aguero. And so how have PSG got themselves into this spot? We're over a decade into the QSI era and they're very reliant on Mbappe. Now, I know you can say... You know, you know, Messi dependencia and Ronaldo dependencia became catchphrases in Spain for a reason. Because if you have a player that good, you cannot help but rely on them to quite heavy extent. Having said that, I think we had a little window, didn't we, here, JJ, to what it would have been like if Mbappe had walked last summer, as a lot of people expected him to. Because that game where you're... And I understand that they've both had fitness issues and they've come off the back of the World Cup and that can't be underestimated. But a PSG team being led by Neymar and Messi is actually quite a bleak prospect, isn't it? At the very highest level in the Champions League. It is. And I think something else that was really interesting as well is one of Mbappe's other comments. You were talking about how articulate he was after the game uh, and he sort of disguised a bit of a barber you know I think we can all guess who he was aiming at where he said sort of ahead of the second leg in terms of preparing well all the players need to eat well sleep well and obviously Neymar <laughs> followed up at that first leg defeat by going and taking part in a in a poker tournament but uh, no you're I mean you're right you know I think as well part of PSG's struggles are actually down to the fact that they were really hamstrung in the the transfer market. Obviously, small violin for, for for PSG because of this. But in keeping Mbappe, they haven't really been able to overhaul the squad in the way that they've needed to for for quite a while now. Uh, I think you know perhaps we might see that happening uh, this summer. You know, we know that Skriniar is already on his way in. But like you said, when Mbappe is not there, you see, uh, you know, it's clear for all to see, you know, just how uh, you know underwhelming uh, and you know, very, you know, not really worthy, uh, you know, of a, of a project as, as lavish as, uh, as PSG is under Qatari ownership, um, you know, this current squad is. So, you know, I think that it's definitely a group of players that's a work in progress. We saw that last season. I think Mbappe would probably 
would have liked for the squad to have been, you know, overhauled in a, a more convincing fashion than Luis Campos did. But equally at the same time, uh, you know, there wasn't much wiggle room after PSG had actually managed to to get him to, co- to commit to, uh, you know, that improved contract to stay. I guess the other half of not having that wiggle room, though, is the fact that it seems to me that a lot of their promises for the future from Mbappe, implied or explicit, are predicated on being able to get rid of Neymar. And that's why there's this perception of him looking at Neymar in a certain way. I think beyond what he openly manifests, the fact that you could say it's difficult to reconstruct under the weight of the Mbappe contract. I think you can also say it's difficult to reconstruct both ideologically and financially when you can't shift Neymar. And that's the thing. When we talk about a change in culture, we're talking about moving on from superstars. Now, Messi's going to run out of contract. That's fine. Neymar's not. So that's the problem. How do they shift him? Where do they shift him? So I guess my question to you, JJ, firstly, what happens with Neymar and what can they they do about that? Because Neymar was really invested in the first half of the season. He had a great preseason. He played really well for the first half of the season. He's come back with an injury from the World Cup that maybe Brazil and PSG could have dealt with better. So that's a a different question. So I don't think this is all on him. But the fact is, he doesn't really fit the timeline which Mbappe would like the club to move towards. So that's one question. What do they do about Neymar? The other question, more immediately, is what do they do about this midfield? Because at the start of this season, it felt like they'd done a decent Christophe Galtier-endorsed job in the transfer market. Verratti and Vitinha clicked really well together. Vitinha took a lot of the pressure off Verratti being their preeminent midfielder for so long. But they're not together anymore. They've experimented with Vitinha in the 10, which didn't really work. And over the last couple of weeks, a 16-year-old, Warren Zaire Emery, has, has, has been their best midfielder. So where did that all go awry? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, uh, a couple of really good questions there. I think in terms of Neymar, PSG will now have to take a really difficult decision, uh, you know, because realistically, I think that they're going to have to be uh, prepared to take a massive, massive loss on Neymar. You know, obviously, they're not going to recoup, uh, you know, anywhere close to the money that they spent on him. Uh, but equally, um, you know, I think they could go back to when his contract was extended, uh, you know, and, and question whether it was really the right decision to do so. Um, you know, but history will, you know, will att- as history will attest, you know, putting their faith in Neymar, who can sometimes play really well and then, you know, quite often, you know, just loaf around and, and not really be invested as well, is always going to be, uh, you know, sort of the the risk that PSG take moving forward. You know, Mbappe, it seems, uh, you know, would be quite happy if PSG moved on from Neymar. So perhaps that's what they'll do. You know, maybe they will take the hit, try and get a very small transfer fee for him. You know, maybe they might even consider, uh, you know, sort of letting him go on a on a free transfer. I know that that sounds absolutely crazy, but if a club was to come in and say, OK, we'd be prepared to take all of Neymar's wages off of your hands, but not pay any transfer fee, you know, that's also a, a possibility there. But in terms of the midfield, you know, I think there were some gambles that were that were taken by Campos. Uh, you know, you look at someone like Soler. I, given what I'd seen from him, uh, you know, sort of highlights and stuff, I expected a much better player than PSG have received so far. Fabio Ruiz is a as a player I've known for for a number of years. Uh, you know, from when he was at Betis, then when he was at Napoli, he started off uh, in quite encouraging fashion, uh, and then has dropped off quite dramatically. And PSG is still extremely um, dependent on Verratti for the creativity in midfield. Uh, it's something that they've never really truly moved on from, uh, you know, since the days of uh, of Zlatan when it was uh, the famous uh, motto Matuidi and Verratti midfield. So, you know, I do think that Zaire and coming through, uh, you know, does bring, uh, you know, a lot of promise for the future. The other thing that I would, I guess, uh, you know, sort of temper this argument with was the fact that Galtier spent the entire preseason and early season playing with PSG in a 3-4-3. And because of the threadbare options, notably in defense, that formation is no longer possible. So the, you know, the system that was in place when PSG were unbeaten and doing quite well at the beginning of the season, uh, you know, up until now when Kimpembe's just come back from a lengthy injury, uh, you know, hasn't really been, uh, you know, possible for PSG. So whether or not they can sort of bring it back and regain a bit of form before the second leg against Bayern, we'll have to wait and see. But I think, you know, there are, um, you know, sort of 
you know, circumstances uh, that have influenced the fact that PSG are no longer able to set up in the way that Galtier was most comfortable at the beginning of the season. The question from Big Timbuktu on Twitter is, what do the fans think of this? The the um, the uh, the season ticket holders, amongst other things, but also, what do they think, not just of what's going on on the pitch, but what do they think of the ownership and the general direction of the club? Uh, you know, I think uh, it all kind of came to a head, really, with that uh, defeat away at Monaco. You had Luis Campos going into the dressing room, uh, you know, which was then out in the press. Neymar was talking about it before the buying game, admitting that it did happen. Uh, you had the irate fans um, being spoken to by Kimpembe, who'd only just come on and played his first 10 minutes since injury. Uh, you know, so obviously the the fans are not happy with the way that the, you know, the, the season is going at the moment, but also with the way sort of that... The, seemingly the the direction of the the club you know there were um structural changes to to the hierarchy made last summer uh you know campos coming in as a sporting advisor uh and then there's this surprise as well that he's kind of has a job on the side with celta vigo uh and you know you have this strange uh scenario where psg looked absolutely brilliant before the world cup and now look absolutely terrible since then uh, and i just think within the fan base that started to percolate this feeling uh you know that maybe the season is not necessarily cursed uh you know but sort of just destined to not really go their way because we always spoke about the potential impact of the world cup uh on some of these star-studded squads and psg are sort of up there uh you know at the you know as the one of the most if not the most star-studded squad uh in europe so i think that there was a sense of dread and inevitability about this kind of run of form coming and the the fact that it's come at this moment in time where it looks like it's going to cost PSG not only their Champions League chances because of course they still have the second leg to potentially turn that around but it has already cost them in the Coupe de France and you know that has left uh, you know a pretty significant scar given that it was at the hands of Marseille Marseille's first win over PSG I might add at Stade Vélodrome since uh, 2011. That was a super damaging defeat, wasn't it? And I think that, to me, put them in a, a difficult spot because there's so much emotion in those games between PSG and, and Marseille. So you come out of that with, all of a sudden, Christophe Galtier being under the microscope, the head coach. And as JJ was saying, there's so much happening at the club. I don't know how much of what's gone wrong this season that you can pin on him I mean the understandable and previsible after effects of the World Cup is, is not something that's down to him at all that's not something that, that he can deal with and it's interesting hearing about like possible pressure on him in the, the last couple of days particularly as there's been this build up to the Bayern game you can't get rid of him now I don't think I, I think just to turn it into a sort of merry-go-round of, you know, next available coach. I think after, especially after they've changed the structure, especially after they've brought in Luis Campos, who's worked in so well with him before, there has to be time for Galtier. But then again, I think it's not just the emotional feeling of what happened at Marseille. And, you know, I, th I think, as JJ says, a lot of people will miss the impact of that because it's just, in inverted commas, Coupe de France match but it matters every time those two clubs play each other and the feeling that Marseille got off it it was just amazing you know they lifted the the new roof off the the, the, the place and I think if you look at Gautier's on the other hand if you look at Gautier's tactical decisions in that the, the, the bits where Marseille had to have a bit of a break from pressing PSG PSG should have been able to take advantage of that. They never seem to have the wit to get past that. And we talked about it before, the, the, the fact that you had that, that bit at the end where you're in deep into stoppage time, there's almost no time left. They're in the literal dying seconds of the game and you have Messi and whoever's next to him, maybe Fabian Ruiz, just like passing it back to each other, back and forth. And you're thinking, come on, man. You've got to throw it in the box. Sergio Ramos has made himself into a centre forward. Come on. And it just seemed that some of those players didn't really grasp the gravity of the occasion. Is that fair? I mean, I think as well, uh, you know, given that there's quite a few new faces, you know, there's quite a few players who won't have experienced one of these implosions that the PSG have become synonymous with in the Champions League. 
uh, you know, over the last 10 years or so of Qatari ownership. So, you know, perhaps they're about to experience that, um, you know, in this tie with Bayern Munich. We will see, uh, you know, how they're able to improve themselves before the second leg. But, you know, I do think that perhaps, um, you know, there there was maybe a false sense of security built up in the first half of the season. Uh, you know, when you've got guys like Messi, Neymar, you know, completely invested in every single minute of every single game because they were, uh, you know, trying to build themselves up in the best possible way for the World Cup. Uh, you know, and now there's been like this, um, you know, this, this release of pressure uh, since the World Cup was played. Uh, and perhaps, uh, you know, that has also impacted some of these players, some of them as well, who, you know, might have normally be expected to have gone with their national teams and didn't. You know, Ruiz, for example, you would have thought that he'd make the Spanish squad, but he actually didn't, uh, you know, didn't go. Uh, then you've had, uh, you know, some guys like Renato Sanchez, who've been in and out of the, the treatment room, was unavailable for that game. Uh, you know, and I think as well, um, you know, when you talk about the width, there is also this aspect of the, you know, the the formation that PSG are trying to play, um, you know, asking a lot defensively of both Hakimi and Mendes. And we saw how good Mendes can be when he absolutely ripped into Bayern towards the end of the game when PSG started to push forward. Mm. But it's very, very difficult to strike that balance. Bernat is not the player that he once was, unfortunately, because of injury. Uh, you know, so they also lack that kind of balance, especially uh, out wide uh, in defensive areas. JJ, the, the real question, as you've already um, intimated, is what happens uh, in this next second leg of the tie against Bayern Munich? You can never bet against the Germans, of course. Yeah, they will. Uh, but as we know, uh, you know, going to Germany, uh, you know, whether it's Bayern, whether it's, uh, you know, other Bundesliga clubs, it's always a very difficult place to go. Uh, and I think at this moment in time, unless something drastic happens with PSG, I think the best thing the best result that they can hope for would be a draw and obviously that wouldn't be enough to take them through uh you know we do know on their day psg uh you know can can beat anyone or certainly score against anyone given the the quality that they boast in attack but so much of the second leg will depend on mbappe how fit he is uh you know and whether this psg side can rediscover uh you know something resembling a bit of form i mean they've got lille at the weekend in nigan that's another good test uh you know so i think the next couple of weeks are going to be crucial not only uh you know for mbappe and psg but uh you know also for some of these players who you know might not have a future at the club beyond the end of the season your sergio ramos is your your Lionel messi's and by the way get in touch anytime during the course of the week with us on social media at football ramble at dotson adibio at andy brassel and at john underscore le gossip you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with juvederm volure xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. 
Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash ramble. I did say you can never bet against the Germans. Dortmund, they're flying at the moment. Um, against Chelsea, managed to eke out uh, a result there. Um, I think eke out's the, the correct expression. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't a struggle for them, was it? There's a question mark about Chelsea, but tell me about Dortmund. How come they're doing so well? Because before the World Cup, they were struggling. Yeah, they, they really were. And morale was absolutely on the floor. I mean, you think the last two games before the World Cup... They lose to Wolfsburg. They lose to Borussia Mönchengladbach. They defend abysmally in both of those games. I think I remember us talking about that at the time. Uh, I think we, I think we did. And they go into the World Cup in sixth place, and in serious danger of not making the top four. Particularly when you look at the start to the season, Freiburg and particularly Union Berlin have. You, you think right? Okay, with that and Leipzig's improvement the spaces in that top four are getting squeezed. And if Dortmund don't, don't get it together, they're not going to finish in the top four. Now they're looking much better, Nick, after the, the the break. As you've said, seven wins out of seven in 2023 since coming back from the World Cup. It's, it's a remarkable record, really, when you consider that starting point and the fact that some of those players Man. suffered a, a really quite demoralising World Cup with Germany. 21 points. We're in the second month of the year in the sixth week of the year they've earned 21 points well no because one of those was a DFB Pokal game okay so still six yeah. 18 we'll, we'll, call, we'll call it 18 points over, <laughs> over Bundesliga and, and Champions League if, if you like to stretch it but look I think what was so interesting about the way they did against Chelsea I thought they were great in the first half really really good but second half Chelsea came back big time and I, I, I thought Chelsea were excellent second half I, I mean I think because of what Chelsea fans have uh, had to put up with recently and the transitional nature of their season, there has been a, a lot of, especially online, biting at, at, at Graham Potter and saying, well, you know, it's the result at the end of it. You think, oh, come on. Like, like on, Honestly, that, that to me felt the, like the most coherent Chelsea performance in a long time against good and informed opposition in the second half of, of that. And they got done by the perfect perfect counter-attack goal by Karim Adeyemi and again Enzo Fernandez has received a little bit of heat for his role in it and not being able to get the ball off Adeyemi Adeyemi is that fast I'm shocked. when he gets into I'm his shocked. stride I'm shocked I'm Adebayo he's obviously Adeyemi right so, so, so we're talking you're, you're surprised that he's that fast <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just think it really reminded me of the Michael Owen goal in the 1998 World Cup against Argentina. And I think that Adeyemi is able to do that when he's had a very, very poor start to his first half of the season at Dortmund. He was a big part of those problems that he couldn't really establish himself in that first part of the season. He's looked the part in recent weeks. And I think, as I was saying in my Guardian column this week, if you look at the beginning of that run of seven wins, the performances are as chaotic as they've ever been, but they've bedded down. And what was remarkable to me, JJ, you do not see Dortmund toughing out a 1-0 win in a Champions League game against moneyed opposition, or actually against anyone. You know, they defended really well collectively. Gregor Kobel, who's been one of the best goalkeepers, if not the best goalkeeper in the Bundesliga for quite a while, really stood up. But it never felt like 
he was totally under siege. He made some good saves when he needed to. But Dortmund collectively looked pretty solid. Yeah, of course. And I think, you know, a, a big factor in that, uh, you know, is the atmosphere that you get on those big European nights in front of the Yellow Wall. Oh, uh, sure. I mean, you and, yeah, you and I, I mean, have experienced that. In fact, just before COVID, I think it was the last time that we met in person. Is that right? Oh, the, 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 the Holland rattling the net game. Exactly. The yeah. very same. I, and to oh. be honest, I was, I was, I actually got a, a, an immersion into the yellow wall about 50 minutes before kickoff of that game. And it is phenomenal. Like it's one of those grounds, it's a bit like Anfield where on a big European night, you go in, you, you sense it, you can, you can feel it in the air. Basically what was missing mm. pre-match um, before PSG buy in a Parc des Princes, you never miss that, uh, you know, at, uh, at Dortmund. You know, something else that's really contributed to, uh, you know, Dortmund sort of having their tails up at this moment in time is the fact that, you know, they've managed to, to eat uh, eat away at, uh, you know, Bayern's lead ahead of them, you know, by six yeah. points. Uh, and let's not underestimate as well the impact of having Sebastian Eller uh, as well, you know, finally having him back able to play a role in some of these games. It's fantastic news. You know, I think the, the entire footballing community is delighted to see that. And I think that's, you know, because of his absence, Dortmund sort of were delayed in their ability to sort of move on from from Holland. And now with him back, uh, you know, with some of the the attacking firepower that they have, they're finally able to start doing that. And that's perhaps why you're seeing the likes of Adiemi picking up as well. Interesting. You mentioned Holland there. Of course, this is the season that uh, Dortmund had to learn to live without their talisman uh, because of his transfer to Manchester City. And you would have expected them to struggle. So maybe that explains the struggle at the beginning of the season. But the remarkable turnaround, given that Adiyah, I mean, despite everything you've said uh, in this match, isn't Haaland. No, and he never was going to be. Like JJ was saying, Ale was the replacement. And funnily enough, a replacement that long-term could actually suit what Dortmund want to do better. I think we've touched on that before. The fact that Holland was an incredible goal scorer in a dysfunctional team who could really I, I guess he was he, he was like cover up if you've got a blemish you know he he could he could cover the spots and and, and crow's feet and all that sort of stuff whereas it, whether he contributed to actually making the team collectively better even though he did improve, improve his all-round game I, I don't think that was ever really the case point. interesting point but but whereas whereas Allaire has got such an incredible all-round game of course he had a great goal scoring season in Europe as well for Ajax last season but I don't I don't think they were ever really bringing him in for just the goals it's everything that he can do collectively and they've got lots of those players so uh, Adeyemi Royce um, Brandt Rayner um, Bino Gittens now, who really will feed off that focal point. But that's where Ale can be useful. But what I think is amazing about this result in particular was before the game, they lose Yusufa Mokoko, who gets quite a bad ankle injury at Werder Bremen on, on, on Saturday. Of course, he's signed a new contract now. Um, he is going to be out for about six weeks. So he'll miss the second leg against Chelsea as well. So that means Allah has to play. Now, as JJ says, he his return is great news. And as I've said, I think he's going to be immense for them. We also have to recognise the fact that he's come back from a very serious illness. Mm. They can't play him twice a week. They, they just can't. And we saw that when we got into the game last night and there was some... Dortmund fans are a bit oh hang on why are you bringing on Anthony Modest is he not irrelevant now well he's he's not at least not for the rest of this season because Ale can't play all the games he talked about it after the game the fact that he feels like he owes Dortmund because they stuck with him and they were great to him when when he was he, he was unwell and you know he said well the transfer was basically a disaster for them because they spent a load of money on me and all of a sudden I, I couldn't play transfer from which, Ajax yeah yeah which is you know, I, I don't think of a really particularly fair way of, of looking at it. And of course, they've done the right thing by sticking by him. But I think given that they had to, they've had to like make do and mend to a certain extent in this game, I think it says a lot to the, the collective. And I'm interested to know your thoughts, JJ, on like Dortmund have been a hard club to coach over the last couple of years because, you know, there's a lot of collective talent. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But it's all seemed a bit 
disparate and I guess coming at it I guess from a PSG perspective they've struggled to not rely on the individuals whether it be Holland, Bellingham going back a little bit Sancho Edin Terzic seems to finally be getting his his feet under the coaching table because you look at the bench last night Royce and Hummels two of the big senior players and huge figures for Dortmund over the, over the last 10 years don't play and are not involved Emre Can, who is put in there, has been thought of as a very expensive deadweight for a while, has a great game. So he seems to be getting the best, not just out of, say, Adeyemi, who's really underachieving at the start of the season, but looks the part now, but also an older player like Emre Can, who's really a contract they've been looking to, to dump for a while. Yeah, I mean, it is. Uh, it's, I'm glad that you bring up uh, Terzic because, uh, you know, Nobody really doubted that he had the potential to, to to work as a coach. And I think many people felt like sort of his first spell in charge of Dortmund perhaps came a little too early. Mm. Uh, you know, so I guess we can sort of consider this like the, the second bite at the cherry. And I think using that first experience that he had, uh, you know, is now serving him really well in this uh, in this second experience. You know, he's managed to iron out some of the, the issues from the, the start of the season. I do think as well that the World Cup break uh, and that extended winter break uh, in the Bundesliga has also aided uh, a lot of the clubs and, you know, Dortmund are just one of them. Uh, you know, but I do think that there's a lot to be said for, you know, Terzic and, you know, the fact that he was a familiar face around the club as well the first time and now that he's come in sort of as the the main boss, uh, you know, I think, you know, he already has a lot of those pre-existing relationships, understands a lot of sort of the difficulties surrounding some of those players, especially the more established ones. Uh, and therefore is probably able to go about sort of, you know, tweaking some of the, you know, the selections, changing the the team and some of the players' roles without there being too much aggro, which you couldn't do. I mean, you, you mentioned PSG. You couldn't do that at PSG without, uh, you know, stuff essentially kicking off if you're, you know, basically suddenly chucking out somebody who is, uh, you know, was considered an, an indispensable member of the starting eleven prior to that. Yeah, look, whilst we've got JJ here, you've mentioned uh, Sebastian Haller, Andy, already. And um, him being the sort of totem pole for Borussia Dortmund is actually quite ironic because he's a shy guy, or at least he was a shy kid, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. I, I mean, you know, obviously, uh, Ivory Coast player having played for France at, at various junior levels. But I remember doing a ramble meets with him when he was at West Ham and he really had to be led into the professional game because he was he was so super shy that um, his mum had fixed him a trial at Auxerre, told him he was going to the dentist and he said, okay. And then he turns up at the training ground and then away he goes. So, you know, he's he's come an incredible way since then. He's never going to be a shouty sort of leader. I think with his very difficult experiences, particularly over the, the the last little while, he's learning to be a leader in a in a completely different way. Let's talk about La Liga, where a goal scoring record is broken this week, Andy. Uh, perhaps not surprisingly, by <laughs> Real Madrid's ever continually scoring centre forward. Yeah, uh, Karen Benzema's existence now is just a pr- procession of like knocking over various records so um, by scoring twice against Elche on, on, on uh, Wednesday night he went past Raul for a second all-time top scorer for Real Madrid in La Liga he'd already passed his overall tally um, a, a little while back but I guess it brings back into the spotlight how important he continues to be to them I mean you know a, a couple of penalties against Elche who are the worst team in La Liga by some distance uh, are not really going to move the needle and they weren't even particularly vital on the night because of course Real Madrid ended up winning 4-0 in the end but I think it does underline because he's out of contract at the end of the season still we've been hearing for a long time that they're ready to extend him for a year but the ink's not on the paper yet and I think that's a bit of a concern especially when there's such a paucity of depth in that particular position for Real Madrid. Bear in mind, this is one of the things that's made their season go a bit awry. In many ways, they look as solid as ever. They, however, have tried, when Benzema's been out, 
They've tried um, Asensio as a centre-forward. They've tried Mariano Diaz, who's well, well down the pecking order, but too expensive to get anyone else to take, so they can't get rid of him. They've tried him, although very little. Eden Hazard has been mooted as a, a false nine, but has played 98 minutes in La Liga cumulatively, and it looks like his people are going to have discussions with Real Madrid later this month about a possible resolution to his situation, which I believe could include rescinding his contract, which still has a year to go by the end of this season. And we'll see where Hazard goes goes next from that. But all of this, JJ, means that they're incredibly reliant on Benzema still at the age of 35. In terms of sort of the situation overall at Real, there's always been this kind of feeling that uh, you know, they're sort of getting into the twilight years with this golden generation being so uh, dependent upon uh, Benzema and Modric. But then when you see them in the kind of form that they're in, Modric scoring a lovely goal again this midweek, uh, you know, you kind of understand why they're so keen to to sort of milk every last drop of, uh, you know, the last of that summer wine. So I think, uh, you know, as well, something else that's really interesting about this, obviously it's a, a kind of dilemma made in France in the fact that Real had Mbappe lined up for so long as the potential replacement for for Benzema. Uh, and now, obviously, that's not going to happen. At least it's not going to happen, you know, right now. It might happen, you know, sort of a year or two down the line, but it's going to cost Real a lot of money. Uh, you know, we know that they've, you know, been deliberately uh, sort of trying to spend as little as possible the last couple of years. So the possibility to maybe make a big move, a big splash on the transfer market might be, uh, you know, doable at some point, uh, you know, in the near future. But equally, while you've got Benzema in this sort of form, it does beg the question sort of why they haven't secured, you know, perhaps a, a very high quality uh, you know, attacking player to, to perhaps come in as sort of the rotation option so that they're not running Benzema into the ground because as as evergreen as he seems when he is fit and in form, uh, you know, he's not getting any younger. And despite the fact that he does, you know, treat himself very, very well now as an athlete, you know, looks after his body extremely well, much better than he did sort of before he hit the age of 30. Uh, you know, there is always that risk that he does pick up the injury at a really inopportune moment, as happened, uh, you know, during the World Cup with France. And I think, to be perfectly honest, not no longer having, uh, you know, that international um, duty to go to with France could actually, you know, quite feasibly add another season, uh, you know, to his career, certainly in terms of being able to stay on with Real Madrid. I mean, it does sound like they will eventually get that contract extension done. It's just a question of, uh, of of time. But, uh, you know, I do think that there has to be a, a, an element of better succession planning for the future by Real. I mean, they've done it so well in the midfield when you look at some of the pieces that have been added from France again, you know, with Chouamini, with Camavinga, uh, you know, but now they sort of have to do that in the uh, in the, the final third. Why, why doesn't Real Madrid simply listen to its own coach? Because Carlo Ancelotti... One of the best coaches in the world, time and time again has proved that. Bailed them out of a hole, by the way. Let's not forget that as well. He says Benzema's a legend. <laughs> you don't get rid of your legends. You bring them in, you keep them. I think it's a really interesting point that Ancelotti feels that that, that he has to come out and speak on that. Because we've been talking about it as a fair accompli for a, a, a long time. That he's agreed the deal, it's gonna happen. But for Ancelotti, who is nothing if not politically adept and that's one of the reasons why he's such a successful Real Madrid coach for him to feel that he has to come out and say something about that I think is is, is quite indicative of something it's him saying come on get on with it get on with it I can't wait anymore for this we can't as a collective wait any more for this and you know it, it continues to be extremely important to it but I just think another year makes sense all round. I mean, obviously, Leon have been doing their thing and specifically their president, Jean-Michel Olas, has been doing their operation seduction for, for many, many years. Bring him back home. I know, in Valentine's week, right? <laughs> yeah, to, 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 to bring him back. And they made a massive fuss of him when he won the, the Ballon d'Or. And Benzema, who's never a player or a person who shows much emotion in public, was really moved by that. However... One, he's still Real Madrid level. Mm -hmm. Two, Leon are an absolute bloody mess at the moment. Mm -hmm. Three, how would they afford him? Yep. 
So this is sounding four, like uh, this, this, PSG, this is a hell of a list. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't stop me. Okay. And four, they've just invested. They're really into this Leon DNA thing at the moment about you know bringing back successful players who can show youngsters the way. They've invested heavily in Lacazette and Toliso. How would Benzema fit with that? It it just wouldn't work. I don't I don't think it would. It's a lovely idea. It is a pipe dream. He belongs at Real Madrid for the moment, doesn't he? Uh, yeah, it certainly feels like um, you know Benzema now at this stage of his career will see out uh, his playing days with Real. Uh, you know, Andy said it perfectly on Leon. Uh, you know, if they were in a better situation, which you know they could be by the end of the season, you know, if they really go on a, a on a good uh, run of form. It does seem unlikely at this moment in time. You know, the takeover hasn't changed sort of that much in an immediate sense. Um, you know, but realistically, you can't see, you know, Benzema sort of dropping out of European football at the top level with Real Madrid to, to go and join, uh, you know, a Leon side that's probably going to be out of continental competition once again uh, next season. Uh, you know, and when he's still be able to de- deliver in the way that he is uh, at this moment in time, it makes a lot of sense, and obviously Ancelotti agrees with us, uh, you know, that Real keep him on for at least another season. When you were talking about succession planning earlier, though, JJ, it was remarkable to me. Some of the names mentioned to possibly replace him, and they're extraordinary names to me. Richarlison, uh, Dusan Vlaovic, and with every bit of respect for those players, that is an absolutely enormous drop-off. It just brings us back to the same place, doesn't it? Kylian Mbappe. How much the PSG, bearing in mind that his contract extension we now know is not actually to 2025, it's 2024 with him having an option, him having an option, the player having an option to extend it to 2025. It basically means he's got a year of contract left at the end of this season. This brings all of this up again. Not only what does it take, JJ, for Real Madrid to attract him, what's it take for PSG to keep him? Because it feels like they're going to have to woo him all over again. You know, there was always an element of logic to sort of Mbappe wanting to stay in France until at least the Olympic Games in 2024 when you assume he's going to be part of that French squad playing uh, on home soil and, and going for gold. Uh, and then after that, probably move on, uh, you know, move out of France and go to, uh, you know, a, an elite European club. And that choice has always seemingly been Real Madrid, despite him, uh, you know, rejecting them to extend his contract with PSG. But it's difficult to see what the argument would be for him to add any additional years to that deal at this moment in time. Obviously, a lot can change between now and the end of the season. But, you know, it would have to be a major, major improvement and, you know, maybe nothing short of at least getting to the Champions League final, which seems like a pipe dream at this moment in time, uh, you know, would convince him of that. I mean, the other interesting one as well is there had been sort of mooted this possibility of a, of a clause in Haaland's contract with Manchester City uh, in the event of interest from Real Madrid as well. So I think it really comes down to those two names. All this talk of Karen Benzema in such... Uh imperious goal-scoring form has made this tie against Liverpool on Tuesday very appetising, I must say. But before that, you both have a game of the week to recommend uh, for our listeners. Uh, Andy do you, or John, Johnny, do you want to go first? I mean, obviously, as a Villa fan, uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing Unai Emery uh, up against Arsenal this weekend. <laughs> I, know that, I know that there's a lot of Arsenal fans out there now sort of dreading uh, this fixture coming up, but uh, you can never talk me out of wanting to be at Villa Park, munching a puck of pie as well. So, uh, yeah, Mate, uh, I think that's definitely the game I'd want to be at. But let's keep this on the, on the continent tip. Don't forget, that is a, a game of two Spanish coaches. Did you, did you see how he did that? Yeah, special Andy? Jonathan Johnson privileges. Well, he, there you go. <laughs> but Spaniard against Spaniard, you know, it still works for us. What about you? I, I think he's been very kind in uh, letting me letting me have a Ligue 1 game because I guess we couldn't have two Ligue 1 games for, for, for game of the week. I, I wanted to go for uh, Salernitana versus Lazio because Paolo Sosa, the Portuguese, uh, another former Ramble Meets subject actually, has just been appointed coach of of Salernitana. Lazio needing to make up some ground after 
um, fall into Atalanta last week in the Champions League race. But, I, you know, I, always because I know Nicky's listening, I kind of shy away from the food recommendation side of Italy. So we'll go to France. The official game of the week is Toulouse versus Marseille, Sunday night. Toulouse were great against Rennes last week. Very attractive to watch. Played well at PSG recently as well. But beat Rennes out of sight without arguably their best player in Branko van den Boomen, who couldn't play in that game. Um, Marseille are, are absolute box office at the moment. They're absolutely fantastic. They've started 2023 uh, very, very well as well. So I say get yourself some nice chunky Toulouse sausages. Ooh. <laughs> uh, maybe a bit of red wine. Toulouse sausage baguette all the way. I was just going to go for a croissant, by the way. What do the Brummies um, offer in terms of uh, a game of the week food recommendation? Oh, that's, uh, that's what I was saying earlier with the pucker pie. I mean, you can't go wrong with a, with a Balti pie of Villa Park. It's, uh, and in any case, if we're not talking sort of match, uh, match day food, uh, you know, it is arguably the curry capital of England as well. No, no, arguably about it. Really. No, mate, mate, the people of Bradford, the people of Bradford will say, hang on a minute, and I've been up to Bradford now to curry there, and trust me. Residents of Rush Home. Well, why not? Exactly. Yeah. Bring them in and all. Football Ramble is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.